Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. If you came earlier today, and welcome if you're new to the show or a familiar face, it's thrilling to have all of you watching listening and doing whatever you're doing while I'm talking with my guests. Um, earlier today, an interesting conversation uh, with the British author, uh, who actually now lives in Denmark, Helen Russell. She has a new book out called How to Be Sad. And we talked a little bit about the differences between nationalities when it comes to sadness. She told me that Americans and America, and this is all too often true, I think, uh, but with global comparisons, America is are outliers when it comes to sadness. She suggested to me, she, she acknowledged she's not really an expert on this and she'd work with some other researchers at Stanford. Uh, she said that Americans don't know how to be sad. They tend to be extremely positive. Well, they may know how to be sad, but they're uncomfortable acknowledging it. And I said, why? And she said, well, it's because they're a settler society. And I thought to myself, what is exactly a settler society? So I went to my favorite resource, uh, Wikipedia, read a little bit about settler societies, and of course, in particular in America, uh, settler colonial societies, societies where, uh, and in the American case, um, uh, Europeans came in and seized the land from Native Americans. And I began to think about the sorts of stories that settler colonialists make about how they can justify their acquisition of the land. One of the best-known stories, the most mythologized stories, I guess, of settler colonialism in America, is the story of the capture and rescue of Jemima Boone, um, uh, an event, a, a, a narrative, a story that took, it really did take place, of course. It's not an invention. It's not fiction. Uh, it took place in July 1776, and I guess it had all the familiar tropes of settler colonialism. Here we have some of the imagery from it for people watching. Uh, the, the Native Americans armed to the teeth, the innocent young women, um, the abduction. This one is by Carl Wimmer. This is a very well-known piece of art from the 19th century. Uh, it's known as the abduction of Boone's daughter by the Indians, but of course it was the white American settlers, the Europeans, who were abducting the land and probably uh, the Indians. Another image of this is a very innocent young girls being um, hijacked, kidnapped uh, by, uh, by, by Native Americans who are portrayed as being barbarians. It's the old story, of course, of settler colonialism. It's a story, perhaps, with a degree of truth, but it's, it's also a story which has been radically mythologized uh, over the years. And I'm thrilled that one of America's best-known fictional writers now has decided to write about the taking of Jemima Boone. Uh, Matthew Pearl is well-known uh, uh, as, as the author of The Dante Club, uh, The Poe Shadow, uh, The Last Dickens, lots of very, very successful books about nonfiction, uh, sorry, fictional recreations of 19th century America. I think this is his first um, book-length nonfiction work, 
Uh, and it's really a, a wonderful piece by one of America's leading historical writers. And I'm thrilled that uh, Daniel is, uh, uh, not Daniel, uh, that, uh, that's Daniel Boone. Uh, Matthew is joining us from his home in, uh, in, in South Florida. Uh, Matthew, I warned you beforehand that I might get a bit theoretical on you. Uh, did anything I just say make any sense? <laughs> well, thank you for having me, first of all, Andrew. And, and I think it all made sense. Um, you know, I, I think trying to understand what it means to be a settler was part of, of what ended up being the interesting journey for me in, in writing this particular book. Uh, as I said, you're you're best known uh, for 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 your fiction. Um, today, in Trump's America, in the America of Mark Zuckerberg and Instagram and Facebook, it's it's sometimes very difficult to distinguish between fiction and nonfiction. Uh, you yourself are also a, a successful writer of nonfiction in short form. What's the difference in terms of writing a book about something that really happened, the taking of Jemima Boone, uh, with books like The Dante Club, for you as a writer? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I have a, a bit of a rule of thumb, and maybe I stole this from somebody. I honestly can't remember. I hope you did. The best people steal, Matthew. We know that. Good point. Um, which is that if a story that you want to tell can be told as nonfiction, my my rule of thumb is is go for it. Use use your nonfiction tools to tell it, uh, because some stories are are so filled with gaps and holes that if we want to tell them, we really have to deploy some version of fiction or fictionalization. Um, so for me, it starts with with making the kind of decision of what's best. I, I really approach approach things as a storyteller, to be honest with you, um, which is not not the case with every writer. There, there, there can be what writers... What does that mean as a storyteller? You mean sure. in contrast to being a sociologist or a historian? Sure, there, there, there can be obviously academic approaches exactly from, from a certain perspective of a field, right? But there can also be, you can also prioritize um, making a point. You can prioritize politics. Uh, some of Shakespeare's plays, for instance, uh, because he was barred from commentary. I'm not a Shakespeare scholar, so yeah, could be getting this, this slightly wrong, but because you would be barred from commentary directly about government uh, or monarchy at the time, you could use history and put up, in, in his case, plays, right, that are discreetly commenting on what's actually going on. So, so you can have all kinds of agendas, um, not using the word agenda in, in a negative way, for, for how you approach, how you structure, how you kind of launch a, a project. Um, for me, when I say as a storyteller, I, that, that's just where, where my brain starts. What, what, what is it about this story, fiction or nonfiction, that draws me in, that makes me want to keep going with it. Um, so, for instance, I, I jump around. I, I there there are several of my my fiction books that that take place in the same time period, but but there are some writers who might spend their whole life, right, with one subject matter. For example, you you showed my first novel, The Dante Club. Um, I know writers or scholars that spend their whole life just on Dante. You know, you could do that, and so you're being driven. Your motor, your engine 
uh, as a writer is is that subject, right? So that's not how I work. I, I really work from the story uh, and, and how do I build this story so that I can capture it for myself for something that, that I would want to read and hopefully for, for readers. Matthew, as I said, we all know the the imagery of uh, the abduction of um, Jemima Boone uh, very much falls in with settler colonialism. You mentioned that there were a lot of holes in this story, which is what drove you to, to writing The Taking of Jemima Boone. What was missing or what is missing, which your new book, The Taking of Jemima Boone, uh, fills in? Which holes are you filling? Sure. Well, for me, it's more, in, in the case of this story, it's more about zooming in. So what I mean by that is, as a reader and a writer, what I like best is to to really immerse myself in a contained story. And, and I'll explain what I mean. So we could read a 600, 700-page biography of a president of the United States, or in this case, of Daniel Boone, right? And And the kidnapping of his daughter, Jemima, might be a few paragraphs or a few pages within that. To me, that's that's less effective, actually. For some people, that might be exactly what what allows them to to discover that world, would be to, to move over the course of 40, 50 years, 60 years, whatever it is. For me, I, I am most energized when I am able to enter a very specific story. So in this case, what I hope by writing what I, what is the first book length treatment of the kidnapping of Jemima and a series of events that, that kind of rise out of it, all taking place in, in about two years, two and a half years span. So, so very much a contained story. So that was the scope I set out for myself. And what that allows me to do is to, to get as much in, in, in the weeds, in the details of that everyday life that is happening around these extraordinary events that if you're painting with a broader brush, if you're at a bird's eye view, you simply don't have the luxury to do. What did the writing of the book teach you about Daniel Boone and indeed the other major figure, I guess, in the narrative, Richard Calloway? These are interesting characters who sort of capture, I guess, the the spirit of late 18th century uh, settler America. Those are those are two great characters to to flag, I think, because they represent very different approaches. So one of the things I, I wanted to do, and one of the things that I that I learned in my journey of working on this book, and and now being fortunate enough to share it with readers, is that these stories, these frontier stories, these settler stories, included so many more perspectives than than many of us grow up hearing. Right. So um, that's why centered in the story. We have Jemima, a young woman. We have uh, Rebecca Boone, her mother and Daniel's wife, an extremely strong part of, of, of their family and, and of this story. We have the tribal figures who very often, as you showed in, in those, those paintings, which, as you correctly point out, are mythologizing the moment and the events, are shown very much as the other, right? The, these, are the, uh, uh, sorry, these are the uh, Cherokee Indian... Um, mostly the the indigenous peoples of the the southeast woodlands of America, right? And in fact, the tribal party that actually kidnaps <clears throat> Jemima is a inter intertribal. Mm. It's both Cherokee and Shawnee. <clears throat> Excuse me, which is interesting. Um, and 
you know, you you pointed out Char- you pointed out uh, Richard Calloway and Dana Boone, and the reason those are are interesting representatives of the different perspectives embedded within within this landscape is that Daniel Boone very much saw himself as someone who is looking to coexist, to learn, to share with the tribe. Now, is he doing it perfectly? Absolutely not. From our perspective in 2021, we can find all kinds of flaws, um, some would argue fatal flaws in that approach. But but philosophically, um, from everything that we can gather, certainly that that I would I would argue from the the raw materials that we're able to delve into, um, he very genuinely sought a that kind of shared space is is what I call it in the book. Richard Calloway, on the other hand, saw himself as an Indian killer, right? So he saw himself as someone who who was in opposition. So he fits the the the. Mm-hmm. The narrative of the the, the anti-colonial or the 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 the, 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 the progressive left-wing critique of uh, of, of colonial settlement, Callaway. Right. right. So Callaway, and, and and by the way, we should say so that with Jemima are two other young women who are who are kidnapped, and they're Callaway's daughters, Betsy. Right. And right. So so these are the two father figures coming from very different perspectives. And exactly as you say, Richard Calloway sees their their mandate, uh, their their religious political mandate as as eradicating the tribes from from their way of life, right? And and again, it, Daniel Boone is certainly implicated in the sense that he is pushing westward. That's what that's where we are at this moment in in the 1770s is these are settlers who are who who keep pushing west and you you opened with such an interesting thought about sadness and and happiness and and how it's embedded in a settler culture something i never thought about um but no, actually I, unfortunately it wasn't my idea it was um it was helen russell's idea but it, it's something that resonated in terms of me talking to you now yeah i think it's a fascinating connection to make and uh the you know this idea of what does it mean to settle for, for these men and women, it, it means they are, they are creating a home on new, new land, land that, that they have not permanently. And that, and that, and that's the essence. Um, when I was reading the book and thinking about what you've done, Matthew land, your book comes with a very nice blurb from Simon Winchester, who has a new book out land. He was on the show recently and he dedicated the book to Chief Standing Bear. Um, uh, he, he said in his book in 1879, the U.S. government declared this Ponca chief to be a person under the law, but they still took away his land. And we've had a number of discussions about land. We had uh, Michael Heller on the show, who with uh, James Saltzman at NYU has written a book about mine, about the sort of the, the the colonial attitude towards land. Uh, the, the, our title w- when he was on the show was How Settlers Convinced Themselves That They Were the First Owners of America. What does your story about the taking of Jemima Boone and these two central characters, Daniel Boone and Richard Calloway, tell us about how Americans um, retold the story of America so that the land became theirs? 
yes, a great question. And it's a process as we meet these figures in the 1770s, about 100 years before the moments you're flagging from, from Simon Winchester's new book, uh, they are seeing land as something you control, very different from the, the definition of land and usage of land that, that the tribes are working under. Uh, the tribes in this area were, were migratory, so they would change where they were located seasonally and this, where, where, where we are in the story, is, is what's now Kentucky. And it was called Kentucky then, too, but it was not in, in kind of an official designation. It was, it was the frontier. It was the, the sort of un, unclaimed, from the perspective of the, the colonists and the settlers, the unclaimed land. Um, so one really interesting illustration of, of what you're talking about with land comes with the animals. So what happens as our, our groups of settlers are pushing into this area is that they are killing what they call buffalo. Technically, the buffalo in, in America are bison or, or American buffalo. Uh, technically, buffalo are only in, in other countries, but, but they're, to them, they're buffalo. They're killing them at such high numbers. Nobody has ever seen anything like it. And within a couple of years, just a couple of years, they are wiping out the buffalo really fascinating to think. And there are people, including Daniel Boone, who are extremely alarmed by this. And what the tribes see in this is, is an eradication of their way of life, because without these hunting grounds, their stability will, will collapse. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a, a fascinating example to think of, of killing and hunting not for usage. So they're, they're killing more than they can eat, more than they can use the skins of, but, but as, as a kind of compulsive act of, of control over the land. In a sense, then, the taking of Jemima Boone, it sort of reminds me, I guess, a little bit of the, the narrative around terrorism in the 21st century. Was it a political act, the taking of Boone? Great point. Uh, you know, we have less access to, to the inner thoughts of the tribal members who are involved in some of these events, including this kidnapping. But my job as a, as a writer, as a storyteller, was to do my best to reconstruct what the motivations were from all sides. So very different than, for example, the 19th century versions of, of paintings that, that you shared, which are important to see because they are very much one-sided, right? We're very much, clearly we're being directed to only worry about or or invest in the right. young I mean, they're, 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 they're classic to, to use a academic phrase i mean they're, they're classic orientalist representations those paintings right that's that right that, that that's exactly right i think and 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 that that of course has a long history of the history before this and a future from that point on even even in media like king kong Right, the trope of the the large dark figure stealing the the light skinned woman, um, and and the violence that that is is feared. So, um, what what we have in this moment is that the tribes, the there's a tribal leader named Hanging Maw, and Hanging Maw is a Cherokee, and he is involved in the treaties that the settlers use to justify pushing westward. It's very questionable whether these treaties were 
were legal in any real sense. And even the colonies, so we're, because we're, we're tipping right into the American Revolution, so some of these terms change in real time. The colonies suddenly become um, the, the sort of insurgent uh, states. Um, even the colonies are, are telling this group of settlers, you cannot do this, you cannot push west, but they do. And Hanging Ma was at that treaty. He was, he was frustrated with its outcome and he joined a faction of Cherokee that partnered with the Shawnee, another tribe in the area, to go into Kentucky and to look for ways to, uh, to hinder and stop the, the settlements, the permanent settlements that were, that were very clearly intended to destroy their way of life. So when they see Jemima Boone, Hanging Ma actually knows exactly who she is. We, we have clear evidence in our, in our primary sources that I was fortunate enough to be able to explore that he immediately recognizes Jemima as the daughter of this very important frontier leader. So by taking Jemima and the Callaways, um, he now has leverage. Uh, he and, and the Shawnee who are with him have leverage to try to pressure the settlement, which is which is the, the, the largest settlement is called Boonesboro. So it's very much very much a, a, a manifestation of the Boone family, and particularly of Daniel Boone. Um, but part of my argument in, in the book, uh, in telling the story of the book, is, is that it's not just Daniel Boone, it's, it's the family and everyone else involved that are giving it its identity, um, in, in an attempt to pressure them to, to, uh, to, to leave the, the land that, that's being settled. What has... Um... What about the women, Matthew? Um, your, your, your book, and you're too sophisticated a writer to, to be vulgar about this, but your, your book suggests that there may have been an element of romance. Is that possible between the, the, the kidnapper and, 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 and some of the young women, which again is something that we see time after time from back then to Patty Hearst in, in, the, in the late 20th century. W what is your sense of the relationship between uh, the abductors, quote unquote, I mean, I'm slightly dubious of that word, and the young women who were taken? There's definitely a bond, and it's a bond that's interpreted by some over the years uh, as romantic. There's definitely a bond, um, a, a protective bond is what I would characterize it as, between Hanging Ma, the Cherokee leader, and Jemima, who I would, even though she's the youngest of the three girls, I would characterize in a way as the leader. How, how old was Jemima? Jemima was 13, and her the other girls with her were 14 and, and 16. Um, and you'll see some of these paintings show the other girls, and some don't, because it yeah. became... But a 13-year-old in, in, on, on, on the frontier in late 18th century America was probably different from a 13 year old today. Is that fair? Definitely. She was already sort of at that stage of being expected to, to get married, um, particularly because we're in a settlement, right? We're in, we're in a, um, we're in a living situation in which part of the resources that have to be created are our children, our families and children. And, and there are very few, very few people there. Um, so Jemima is, is already, forming attachments and, and, and some courtships that are coming up in the settlement. Um, Hanging Ma and Jemima seem to, to find themselves kindred spirits 
and within the story, I, I kind of craft these interesting ways in which they, they actually end up helping each other. Um, as Hanging Ma realizes he's losing control over their mission because the some of the other warriors clearly are are leaning more and more toward killing the young women. Um, and the other two young women, the Calloway sisters, are very much daughters of Richard Calloway and and have a a, a kind of innate hatred toward toward the tribes. Um, so Jemima is is kind of the stable stabilizing force there in in trying to uh, improvise a way out, and it it turns out that Hanging Ma increasingly realizes that that he needs a way out and a way to protect the girls. So your reading of the taking of Jemima Boone is is a political one on lots of different fronts, and you also seem to suggest in the book that this binary distinction between white settlers and Native Americans is also a bit of a construction. I think that's right. Um, and, and that was a surprise for me as well. Um, as I say, this, you know, part of part of my journey in, in my writing projects is, is hopefully to to be learning new new perspectives about whatever the story brings. And in this case, what I what I found was that there there was very much a a, a, a kind of vision for what the future might be that was exactly as you say not a binary distinction it was not either us or them um, there are those like Richard Calloway who see it that way and there are members of the tribes who see it that way you know I think one misconception we have is that all members of the Cherokee or all members of the Shawnee or all settlers at Boonesboro would have the same perspective and that's just not the case at all um, particularly where we are in this moment, which is in the early years of the American Revolution, and the tribes are being pressured um, to to take sides. So um, I found fascinating examples uh, of a, an attempt to sort of integrate the two worlds together, um, and we see that uh, especially when Daniel Boone himself is kidnapped, which is part of the story too, part of this kind of what I call a chain reaction that spreads from the kidnapping of Jemima Boone. And he is, he is adopted or, or made part, integrated into the family of, of, the, of one of the chiefs of the Shawnee tribe. And, and as we're with Daniel Boone in that setting, we really see a, a kind of um, visionary impulse of, of how those societies could be combined. Not, by the way, not without its, its improbabilities. It's, it's not necessarily realistic gestures toward this, but certainly genuine gestures um, towards seeking a way in which, in which that, that can really become, again, the term that I, that I think is useful is shared, a shared space. Matthew, yesterday I had Randall Kennedy on the show. He's a very distinguished professor of law at Harvard Law School, he's also written extensively on the African-American experience. He argues that the truth is messy and complex about the African-American story. Uh, Carl, um, Carl Ferdinand Wimmer, who the, the 19th century uh, artist who, who painted uh, the abduction of Boone's daughters by the Indians, didn't regard history as messy and complex. Do you want to be remembered as as a sort of early 21st century historian and writer, as 
seeing the world and borrowing this these words from uh, from Randall Kennedy as as messy and complex. That's what you seem to be suggesting about this story, which has always been presented in in much simpler, cleaner terms: the taking of Jemima Boom. I think complexity is 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 probably always good to embrace um, when we're when we're telling these stories, telling our true stories uh, about history. And and certainly in this case, um, and and it's 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 also instructive, just as you're saying, to to see the examples at which they're simplified and, and narrowed, like in some of those those paintings. It's actually what, sort of behind the behind the scenes. Um, I I decided I, I kind of lobbied to my publisher not to include any any illustrations or images in my book. And the reason for that, uh, because they they you're you're usually expected to to include images in a in a nonfiction book, but as I dug through the images, um, it, it's not that they're not important or interesting, but they're they're so slanted, and and so um, kind of well you used a great word mythologized that it, they would require. Uh, they would require so much real estate, so much oxygen and energy to explain that, that it felt like it would be a distraction from what I hope the prose is able to, to recreate um, about that world. And, and you also see that in the storytelling that followed the kidnapping, which became a, a kind of touchstone of the frontier. Right. Uh, the, the last of the Mohicans, of course, is um, uh, uh, another story that sort of, was was told around this, wasn't it? Exactly. The Last of the Mohicans was inspired in part um, by the kidnapping of Jemima Boone. No, I don't. I don't know that there's any novel that's only inspired by one thing. Um, but this is one of the main inspirations for it, and that's another reason I I, I thought of this project and called it the Taking of Jemima Boone, um, which is that she was kind of replaced. She was replaced by those those caricatures in, in the illustrations and the paintings are replaced by the, the characters in The Last of the Mohicans, which we remember, well, popular culture remembers much more specifically than, than the actual events of, of the kidnapping. And so that was my hope in, in really digging into the primary sources and recreating step by step and moment by moment what is, by the way, also just an extremely suspenseful and exciting, dramatic and, and always want to include that word complex that that you've put on the table mm, but that's Ra randall kennedy's word and messy right. as well it doesn't well but, but i think one of one of I, I think the great skills that that you're showing um and sharing with us is is you know putting these putting these concepts and and ideas together right connecting um you know something i i i'm sort of picking up from you being able to connect from different different works different writers um concepts that really can plug into each other and help enlighten each other so i think that's i think that's exactly right it's funny there was there was one story after the kidnapping that developed that jemima and the other two girls were all married on the way home once they were rescued uh and and the rescue comes with all of these repercussions which is part of the story because two of the two of the indian warriors are killed during the rescue and that's what opens up this chain reaction but in any case there, there, there started to be the story that all three were were married, um, two rescuers. On now, it's true that that two of them did marry two of their rescuers, Jemima included, um, but certainly not on the way home. 
Well, I think that's what your book does. The taking of Jemima Boone is 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 in your own way uh, as a, as a very skillful historian and excellent writer tell this story. We had another good storyteller on the show. Uh, had him actually a couple of times. David Gessner is an environmental writer. I'm sure you know his work. He studied at Harvard, like you. Um, he wrote a book this year on rethinking Thoreau. Um, and he's also, he wrote a really interesting book about Teddy Roosevelt and the natural beauty of America. Both the the Roosevelt book and the Thoreau book are about rethinking the land in America uh, and our relations with the land. What did the taking of, Ameri- of Jemima Boone, how did that change your thinking about America and land and colonialism? Did you have any great shifts as again Randall Kennedy when I talked to him yesterday talked about how many of the more complex issues in African-American histories changed his mind over the years did this book and the writing and research of the book did it change your opinion and mind on stuff that's a really interesting uh thought experiment I think um and and I th- I would say that one element that I became really invested in is that none of this was predetermined. I think we we tend to, when we look back at history, think that it had to come out a certain way. Um, and I think more so when we deal with this part of, of American history, because I think we're, uh, we're sort of wired almost culturally. To, to the inevitability of the conquest exactly. and the success and the westward expansion. Exactly. And, and, you know, it, I, I think as you get into, I think one of the advantages of really zooming in into the details is, is that just wasn't the case. It, you know, there, there were so many, you know, just as you use the word sort of a, a binary here, it did not have to be either the tribes or the settlers found their, their home here. Um, and, and there's so many instances, for example, that are included in the taking of Jemima Boone of a tribal ally to to the Americans, to to the settlers, um, being murdered out of either a misunderstanding or an eruption of almost random violence, um, and and it's an, an accumulation of that as as much as a kind of planned determination to to push the tribes aside in order to control the land that that leads to this this kind of decaying trajectory um, for the tribes and for the relationships between even those settlers like Daniel Boone who valued those tribes um, and 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 the the communities that they were displacing. Well, Matthew Pearl, I think it's going to be another of your bestsellers, this time a, a nonfiction bestseller, The Taking of Jemima Boone. It's already got great reviews in the New York Times and elsewhere. Congratulations on the book you are in. South Florida, not too far from Fort Lauderdale, Matthew. Uh, What else should people be reading in these strange times, particularly in Florida, I guess, where COVID seems still to be raging? Um, Yeah, I I tend to read um, a little bit randomly, so I'm not sure there's there's a message from the books that I currently have on my on my bedside table. But I'm 
every couple of years I reread Patricia Highsmith's Talented Mr. Ripley and I'm mm, yes. well that's that is a great book um yeah I can never never get enough of it um and and I'm not so much a repeat reader it's it's rare for me to want to read a book or yeah. see a movie over and over again but for something about this now I will say and and this is kind of topical in general is that I recently read an article about her about Patricia Highsmith who I don't know that much about and and kind of problematic race and and religion views and, and yeah, there's so a new biography that, i think of her out that's was well, that maybe that's what maybe that's what i was reading about um i would also uh be remiss and be maybe in trouble if i didn't also um point out a wonderful book by my wife toby pearl called terror to the wicked and well, as it Pearl's happens book. matthew uh, surprise surprise toby has been on the show before you so speaking of reading on bedside tables uh toby beat you to it with this this her wonderful new book for children terror of the wicked she oh yeah it's it's really for for any reader um it's it's a, about the first major murder trial in in the colony so uh it takes place before mine in the in the 1630s 1640s um and it's a really gripping dramatic narrative nonfiction. um and then i'm also uh have on deck um, a book called The Plot uh, that takes place in the writing community. Can't say much about it yet. Who's it um, by? This is by uh, Jean Han Korlitz, and I may or may not be pronouncing that right. It's a novel, and mm. it's about a professor who um, who claims a student's manuscript as their own. Um, so kind of about literary theft, and, and that's an issue that keeps always comes up in one form or another, sort of how... How as writers do we absorb what's around? Well, as you as you acknowledged at the beginning, Matthew, you probably took one idea or, or from somebody else. We we all do that, uh, which is good. I mean, that's what you do from reading a book. You're taking other people's ideas. Um, any anything you're watching or, or listening to? Any music or movies that you're particularly enjoying these days? Um, I probably am watching. Uh, what did I just? watch i'm gonna i'm gonna blank out oh you know what we're we're loving um only murders in the building the the hulu show with steve martin and martin short and selena gomez so we're we anxiously await um the new episodes every and week. any ideas on the next project is it going to be fiction or non-fiction or you still don't know you know i honestly don't know this is um this is still a, a period of exploration for me, but I, I also um, co-edit a, a digital magazine for narrative nonfiction called Truly Adventurous. Right, um, so which, uh, which uh, yes. I'm just showing yeah, yeah. the front page. So you do a lot of nonfiction work too. I do. Well, it's yeah. So anyway, uh, Matthew Pearl, the author of Taking of Jemima Boone, the true story of the kidnap and rescue that shaped America. We've been talking about the shaping of America and all its messy complexity. Thank you so much. A real honor to have you on the show. I've always been a big admirer of your work, both, well, always uh, fiction, but now it's nonfiction. And I hope you'll be back on the show again, Matthew, to talk more about uh, books, projects, nonfiction or fiction um, in the future. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Andrew.